The Myriapod Mutiny by Emma Nori. In the beginning was darkness, darkness and warmth. And that was all they needed. It was how their lives began. For millennia, two underground species lived together side by side, each presided over by a master. Similar enough to coexist, yet different enough to be wary of one another. Allies more than friends. The slow and stoic we shall call the undertrotters. The others, quick and quarrelsome, are known as the sidesteppers. When the great freeze descended, they buried themselves deeper still and made a pact. To ensure, above all else, their mutual survival. Come what may. Yet neither foresaw the great collision which obliterated not only their planet, but their plans for survival too. The great collision, 300 million years ago, catapulted huge rocks into the galaxy. What had once been their home was now ripped into pieces, tumbling through space and travelling immeasurable distances. A few fragments rained down onto a planet rich in oxygen, burying themselves deep in the ground. Over millions of years, traces of mineral, silicate and crystals leaked into the soil, igniting growth in the unlikeliest of places. Year seven, Mr Sestin yelled, holding his hands up in that familiar teacher gesture that means put a sock in it. As twenty year sevens clambered noisily off the coach outside the Natural History Museum. After almost three hours cooped up, everyone was way too excited to be quiet. Teachers handed out neon wristbands while children leaned against the wall waiting. This place has a massive dinosaur, Izzy said, popping gum and making herself the centre of attention, as usual. My aunt lived round here. We came loads when I was little. Right, Mr Sestin blew the sports whistle dangling round his neck. Now, the plan for today is... Ryan Sinclair slipped an earphone in and zoned out. He'd fallen asleep on the coach the minute it had set off and figured blasting a bit of Jay-Z might wake him up. The class lined up to queue outside the museum entrance. Ryan leaned against the ornate columns and watched Olla and Tebow, his two best friends, punch each other in a dead-arm contest. Ryan dodged out of their way and caught the eye of Yasmin Khan, standing further ahead in the queue. Ryan and Yaz had been in the same class at Redlands Primary, Rosa Parks' class, but since they'd arrived at secondary school, they'd barely crossed paths. He had great memories of them hanging out in years four and five. They'd never fallen out exactly, but in many ways they were opposites. Yaz was in all the top sets, and Ryan, well, school wasn't his favourite place. Turn that racket off, Ryan, Miss Cadell barked. We're here to learn. Great. Ryan sighed and removed his earphone. Miss Cadell always gave him a hard time. Claimed he was skiving off, when actually he just found it tricky to remember his way around such a big school. Ryan had tried to explain that his dyspraxia made a few things challenging. He often lost stuff, had almost unreadable handwriting and found it hard to concentrate. But she always thought the worst of him. Mr. Sestin blew his whistle again. Everyone with surnames A to M come with me, and N to Z are with Miss Cadell. Let's go. 
20 children scrambled into the right groups. Ryan said laters to Ola and Thibault and hung back, watching the A to M group follow Mr Sestin through the main doors. When Ryan's group eventually filtered through the entrance, they only walked a few steps before stopping again. Ryan stared in awe at the skeleton of a gigantic dinosaur that occupied the entrance hall. Incredible. This place was like being inside a cathedral. Sunlight streamed in through the high windows and shafts of light highlighted the stained glass and mosaic floor. This is Hintzer Hall, Miss Cadell said. Ryan glanced around, trying to get his bearings. Hintzer Hall was a large open space with arches on either side. Those are the Wonder Bays, Miss Cadell announced, pointing to them. Take a moment to appreciate the wooden monkeys and leaves carved into the walls. See the amazing ceiling which depicts the diverse plants from around the world. Ryan yawned. He was keen to see the cool stuff, not just the ceiling. Each wonder bay beneath the arch had a sign which gave information about the exhibit it housed. Behind the dinosaur skeleton was a big staircase, with smaller staircases leading off either side to another level above them. At the top of the stairs was a gigantic white statue of a man, obviously important, though Ryan didn't recognise him, sitting in a chair at the top. The museum is divided up into zones, Ms Cadell said. We'll be going through to the green zone while the other group examine the blue zone and then we'll swap over. She ushered them around one side of the hall as Mr Sestin's group passed them. That's Charles Darwin, sitting at the top of the steps. Izzy took selfies in front of a giraffe. Oh my God, she nudged her friend, screeching like a hyena. Look, it's got a neck almost as skinny as Yaz. Frowning, Yaz turned away from the exhibit and bumped right into Ryan just as he'd stepped back to get a better look at the giraffe. Watch it, she said, rubbing her elbow. Ryan protested. It weren't me not looking where I was going. Oh, nice to see you too, Yaz muttered, edging past him and keeping her distance from Izzy. Catching up to the rest of his group, Ryan just caught the end of Miss Cadell's speech. After volcanoes and earthquakes, we'll have lunch in the cafe at 1pm. Keep your school jumpers on, please, even though it's warm. Next stop, creepy crawlies. Through here. Because of his dyspraxia, Ryan was sometimes unsteady on his feet. So while his group surged forward through yet more doors, he fell back, preferring space around him. In the creepy crawly room, everyone oohed and aahed at the spiders and insects pinned in the display cabinets. Some boys started running around the large model of a termite mound. Ms Cadell droned on. The museum has over 30 million specimens of arthropods, including, but not limited to, crabs, spiders, bees. Aaron, the class joker, pointed to a tarantula in a glass box. I heard that when you're asleep, you eat about eight spiders without even knowing it. A chorus of voices all said, Ryan winced. He wasn't scared of spiders, but still wouldn't want to wake up chewing on a furry, spindly leg, that was for sure. Ms Cadell read aloud from an information panel. Spider silk is stronger than bone and can stretch up to three times its normal length. Ryan yawned again. 
Miss Cadell had a real talent for making even interesting things sound boring. Be careful, Miss Cadell warned, after Ryan bumped into a display. It wasn't his fault that the kids were all standing so close together. Miss, I need the toilet. Ryan knew he shouldn't have had that fanta on the coach. Can't you wait? Embarrassed, Ryan shook his head. Miss Cadell sighed. The toilets are next to the main door we just came through. You can't miss them, and don't be long. Ryan found the toilets easily enough, but when he came out, he couldn't remember which direction he'd come from, and all the Wonder Bay arches looked the same. He glanced around, but couldn't see anyone he recognised. Panic fluttering in his chest, he dodged a busy group of tourists and found a map of the museum on the back wall. He stared at the different coloured zones, but still couldn't work out how to get back to the green zone. He wondered who he should ask, but the hall had emptied out now, and there was no one close by. A bright glint caught his attention, and he glanced down. On the floor in front of him was a long black and silver object, a bit like a slim torch. Ryan picked it up. Who dropped this? Turning it over, he noticed tiny buttons on the side and pressed a few to see if they did anything. Nothing. He shook it. Still nothing. Maybe it needs new batteries. He stuffed it into his pocket, thinking he could hand it in to lost property later on. He peered again at the map. He could just explore on his own for a bit. There was loads of weird stuff here, and there was no way their group would have time to look at half of it. The mineral room and vault sounded cool, and according to the map, they would be easy to find too, literally right above him. As long as he was in the calf by 1pm, what was the problem? He doubted Miss Cadell would miss him. Confident in his decision, Ryan bounded up the massive staircase and nodded to the giant Darwin statue before turning right and heading up the smaller staircase. He stopped to draw breath in front of a glass cabinet housing a gorilla called Guy. All right, big fella, Ryan smirked. He pressed his lips right up against the glass and blew his cheeks out. On their planet, the myriapods had been giants, as the oxygen levels were significantly greater. Here, though, they had evolved to a fraction of their original magnificent size. But, over time, they adapted to their tiny stature and gained knowledge, gathered information, discovered what they were capable of. Now minuscule, they closely resembled the millipedes and centipedes who already inhabited this earth. Both undertrotters and sidesteppers became adept at remaining unharmed because they were mainly unseen. They learned how to move quickly and relished being able to operate in this new world without detection or interference. And there was food aplenty. The armies vowed to bide their time until the elders their masters, reawakened from their suspended animation and called them. There was plenty here for the taking. On his way to the mineral room, Ryan had stopped along the corridor to admire a wall full of colourful butterflies and beetles pinned up in a big display. Ryan! He jerked round to see who'd called his name. It was Yaz. She walked towards him, cheeks red, biting her fingernails. I've lost my group. Ryan smiled, relieved to see a familiar face. Me too. 
Yaz's hair, usually in neat long plaits, had frizzed out at the side and her shirt was untucked. You think we'll get in trouble? I'm not really in a rush to get back, he shrugged. I only went to fill up my water bottle. She trailed off and moved out of the way of a group of squealing primary school children who came rushing past. Ryan gave Yaz what he hoped was a reassuring grin. We can hang out together. Yaz bit her lip. I should find my group. She trailed off again, twisting her hands. Isn't it better to stay away from Izzy, if you can? Yaz sighed and stared at the floor. What's her problem anyway? Ryan asked gently. He knew she'd been bad-mouthing Yaz for a while. Everyone knew. She hates not being the best at everything. Heard you knocked her off the maths leaderboard. Nice one. Yaz gave a little smile. Sure did. She scuffed her shoe back and forth on the tiled floor. There's amazing stuff here. They've got real meteorite in the mineral room, and behind that there's like a vault thing with crystals, gems and gold. Want to have a look? Yaz's smile was wide. Where's this meteorite then? But eventually, the quick and quarrelsome grew dissatisfied, and without leadership from their masters, who were still in stasis, dissent set in. Instead of working together, the quick noticed how the slow and stoic turned away from flesh and meat. The slow had characteristics that the quick did not, more legs and a hard, protective outer shell. They avoided trouble and would curl up in an instant, always remaining calm and peaceful. The quarrelsome, always left to defend, became resentful and felt inferior. Where was their armour? They had none. Even though they had poison at their disposal, they always felt threatened, vulnerable. They relied on their wits and caught their prey without being detected. Their mouths were hidden beneath their heads, but they were constantly on guard against attack. When they reached the mineral room at the end of the corridor, Yaz followed Ryan in. Apart from a small group of American tourists, the place was empty. This is just old stones. Boring, Yaz said, grinning mischievously. The room was vast, with rows and rows of glass-topped wooden cabinets lining the floor, and more display cabinets on the walls. It's not boring, Ryan shook his head. There's real gold nuggets over here. They peered into cabinets filled with rocks of different shapes and sizes. A security guard sat at the back, snoring lightly. They looked at each other and burst into giggles. When they'd calmed down, Yaz sighed. Can't believe we haven't spoken since leaving Redlands. Ryan scratched the back of his neck. I know, it's mad, isn't it? He didn't know what else to say. They'd been good friends back in the day. Secondary school's well harder. Yeah, Yaz nodded. I kind of miss those days. Come on, bet the vault is even better stuff. Ryan pointed to the entrance at the back of the room. As they walked through, Yaz looked up at the heavy metal shutter above the entrance. Wouldn't want to get trapped in here. It's like something out of Mission Impossible. Look at this! Ryan beckoned Yaz over to a cabinet and pressed his nose right up against the glass. What's that? she asked. 
Ryan started reading the text displayed next to the exhibit. This is a Martian meteorite called Nakla. He gazed at it in wonder. From Mars? Man, I love space. How crazy is that? This rock is from another planet. Yaz rolled her eyes. Calm down, Dr. Spock. She shook her head. Star Wars isn't really my thing. Ryan grinned. Star Trek is sci-fi. Star Wars is more like fantasy, really. If you say so. Now look, over there is the world's biggest emerald. That's what I call impressive. Remember that space project we did in year four? Asked Ryan, giving Yaz a friendly shove. Yeah, Yaz laughed. A solar system made from fruit and you ate Jupiter. She pushed Ryan back, nudging him sideways. Caught off guard, Ryan stumbled forward and banged his hip hard into the cabinet. Suddenly, his pocket vibrated and a series of bleeps and beeps started. Ryan patted his pocket, bringing out the mini torch he'd found earlier. It felt warm. As it lit up in his hand, he dropped it right onto the cabinet. The meteorite inside, balancing on a pedestal, rocked back and forth. Ryan flinched, watching the rock wobble, and then gulped as the meteorite fell against its case. A sharp edge banged into the glass, chipping it. Yaz gasped. What have you done? I'm out of here. Ryan moved to leave, but Yaz grabbed his arm and pulled him forward. Look! She peered at where the rock had struck the glass. It's cracked the glass and... That crack is getting bigger. Ryan leaned in closer. A high-pitched whine hissed out of the crack, as if someone was letting air out slowly from a balloon. Zigzags sprinted along the glass, like the ice on a pond breaking up. Ryan couldn't take his eyes off the splintering glass or the stone which was now jerking and bouncing as if it was somehow alive. Yaz, can you hear that noise coming from the cabinet? No, Yaz frowned. Can't hear anything. Should we find someone? They both stared as the meteorite suddenly shook violently and then split into five separate pieces. Ryan could have sworn that he saw something moving on one of the inner faces. Uh-oh, Ryan muttered. This can't be good. Let's get out of here. Back in the mineral room, the security guard was nowhere to be seen. The place was empty. Weird for a museum, especially in the middle of London. As they left and found themselves back in the corridor, a shiver passed across Ryan's shoulders. He wiggled his finger in his ear, trying to get rid of the whine he'd started hearing when the glass case cracked open. They couldn't see a single person. Where was everyone? At the top of the stairs, Ryan stopped next to Darwin. You still can't hear that whining noise, he asked, straining. Yaz was on the stairs below him. Maybe it's like them dog whistles that only you can hear. Ryan heard other noises now too except these were like scuttling and scurrying and were coming from everywhere, above, below and all around. He tried to work out where this new noise was coming from. Instead of wanting companions or allies, the quarrelsome wanted what they did not have, power. 
the masters of neither species had yet awoken from their suspended animation, and the quick were impatient. The masters had promised them rewards. The quarrelsome soon asserted dominance over the slow and stoic. Their front legs were now sharp, pointed claws with which they could inject enzymes into their prey, rendering them helpless. They whispered to the slow how one day their time would come, how one day they would rule. They were sure the masters, when their time came, would agree. What are they? Ryan pointed at the smaller staircase opposite them. Yaz stared and rubbed her eyes. Are they worms? She said, fear creeping into her voice. Ryan stepped forward to peer at them. I don't know, but there's hundreds of them. Almost side by side now, Ryan and Yaz both stared at the clumps of writhing insects crawling over the staircases. Where did they come from? Yaz asked, sounding panicked. Do you reckon they bite? Even though he had no idea what it was, Ryan pulled the mini torch out of his pocket and waved it at the insects facing him. Don't take your eyes off the ones on your side. Suddenly, the insects facing Ryan bunched up tight, about the size of a beach ball, and then shot out fast in various directions. Hundreds of tiny, writhing forms dispersed across the staircases, burrowing into cracks and crevices until they disappeared completely. Yaz and Ryan turned to one another, mouths open. Where did they go? Did you see their legs? Ryan exclaimed. Thinking about their hurried, scuttling movements made him feel itchy. They'd moved so fast he hadn't known where to look. He'd never seen that many insects in one place before. They definitely aren't worms. Were they centipedes? Yaz said. Or millipedes? Ryan said. Don't they have their legs under their body? Yaz grimaced. What's the difference? A great deal, actually, came a voice. Ah, good-o, you've found it. The pair whipped round to see a man, with some sort of recorder dangling from one hand, staring at Yaz and Ryan, holding out his other hand towards them. His eyes, set above a prominent nose, shone, making him look permanently surprised, and he had dark, bushy eyebrows. His mop of straight black hair fell over his bright eyes, and the navy bow tie and brown checked trousers gave him a sort of odd professor look. <sighs> I'd be in so much trouble with Glaxian Six if that got into the wrong hands. The man pocketed the recorder and wiggled his index finger. May I trouble you for my sonic? When he smiled, he looked mischievous and excited at the same time. It took a moment for Ryan to realise that the man meant the mini-torch in his hand. He reluctantly handed it over. What is that? Yaz asked. What does it do? The man shuffled closer, staring at them hard. A better question might be, what doesn't it do? He chuckled, waving the long silver instrument. Ah, back where you belong. Yaz and Ryan gave each other a wary look. They were constantly reminded by adults never to talk to strangers, and this man was about as strange as you could get. This marvellous device is called a sonic screwdriver. It's very handy indeed, does a billion and one things, an actual billion and one. 
As for those wriggly critters, they're myriapods, the many-legged beings. On Earth, you'd easily mistake them for centipedes and millipedes, but these particular specimens are over 428 million years old and from a different planet altogether, actually. We call them the sidesteppers and undertrotters. You're not serious, Ryan laughed, eyes wide. A different planet? You mean they're alien? Yaz was open-mouthed. You're winding us up, right? The man held his screwdriver up to the light and twiddled the top of it. I'm very serious. These leggy beasts were bigger than the brown bear at one point in time, but when they landed on this planet, they shrank. The untrained eye wouldn't be able to tell them apart from centipedes or millipedes, but the masters, the Adam and Eve of the species, if you like, lay dormant in fragments of asteroid for millions of years, constantly emitting a high-pitched whine, almost a rescue beacon. It was only because of the crack in the glass that their faithful soldiers could hear them finally. They've been living underneath this museum since before it was built. Now they're assembling from all over. Ryan wasn't sure what he was saying. He tried to catch Yaz's eye, but she couldn't stop staring at the old man. How come you know all this? If you're joking, then it's a really weird joke, Ryan said, thinking that they ought to leave this man alone. The man frowned and tilted his head to one side, his eyes lively. This is no joke, I can assure you, he said. It's my job to ascertain what they want, why they're here, then check in about when they plan to leave. They've been waiting for their masters for a long time and might prove trickier to persuade to leave than I thought. I've some tips for you, if you'd like. Keep your hands in your pockets so they don't crawl up your sleeves. Tuck your trousers into your... Ah. Uh. He glanced at Yaz and her school skirt, dismayed. Given your lack of proper attire, you, young lady, might wish to take extra care. They're speedy and will bite any ankle within reach. Now that the masters have awoken, they're gathering all their troops, trying to mobilise. Soon you won't be able to move for them. I strongly suggest making your way promptly to the exit. The rest of the museum has already been evacuated. I may have had a little play with the smoke alarm. He smiled slyly. Yaz gave Ryan a doubtful glance. I didn't hear the smoke alarm. The high-pitched signal from the vault blocked it. You two wouldn't have been able to hear it over that. He turned to Ryan. That was the noise you mentioned. But why could only I hear it? The man shrugged. Not sure, but maybe you've just been blessed with exceptional hearing. Who are you? Yaz asked, staring at him suspiciously. The man smiled. I'm many things. A caretaker, a curator, a health and safety inspector, and a doctor, to name but a few. You can call me doctor, for now. You'd best leave. If these myriapods get too close, they'll suck out your brains before you know it. Ha <laughs> ha, very funny, Ryan said. But the old man wasn't smiling now. Where better than a damp, warm, pulsating human brain to lay eggs and ensure the survival of your species? Staring at them, he blinked several times in a row. They want to see if they can get back to their original size and prominent position. And if that happens, then we've all had it, I'm afraid. Ryan and Yaz didn't need to be told again. They hurtled down the stairs and stood panting in Hintzer Hall.
Brian blinked and rubbed his eyes. For a moment, it seemed that the monkeys and leaves engraved in the arches had come to life. But when he looked closer, he realised the centipedes and millipedes, hundreds, maybe even thousands of them, were skittering along the floor, running up the walls, scrabbling and scratching in every direction. The wonder bays and floor were alive, writhing and twisting. Stay away from the sidesteppers, the man yelled after them. They're the dangerous ones. They all look the same, shouted Yaz, trying to dodge a thrashing pile as they clustered and swarmed over each other, knitting together. A low buzz pulsed through the air, the sound of a billion tiny legs tapping in unison. Some had rolled themselves up into tiny balls and scattered across the floor, bouncing off each other. Others tried to crawl over the balled-up ones, enveloping them. A hideous smell of rotting leaves, damp bark and decaying carcasses filled the air. Ryan pulled the front of his jumper over his nose. How can we get out? He turned to see the man scanning the area with his sonic screwdriver. The exit's totally blocked. The creatures with legs out to the side moved like tiny snakes, slithering from side to side, skillfully and sneakily, disappearing into every available hole or gap. No time for chit-chat. You two need to go. The man examined the screwdriver, reading information scrolling up a panel that had appeared in the side. No chance that thing is a weapon as well as a screwdriver, Ryan asked. Not quite, but it is what will save us. Hopefully. Look! Yaz pointed to six feet ahead of them. They're everywhere. I'm going back up. She grasped the banister and then let go immediately. Ooh! She shook her hand. Ryan gagged as a half-squashed centipede flew into the air. Then a shiny black millipede dropped from the ceiling onto Yaz's shirt collar. She tried to brush it off, but it wriggled along her jumper. Ryan shuddered, as it disappeared into her ear, white legs wiggling furiously. What was that? She said, spinning around and slapping at her neck manically. I think... Ryan couldn't find the words. Suddenly, Yaz's body stiffened completely. Her arms went rigid at her sides. Her eyes twitched, the pupils shuddering and turning milky. Yaz? You okay? Her eyes narrowed, her head tilted right back, and her mouth opened slowly. Another creature, fatter and longer than the one which had slipped into her ear, emerged from between her lips. Its legs waggled furiously. Ryan shivered, the hairs on the back of his neck all raised. He was terrified. Doctor, help her! What's it doing? The doctor leaped across the staircase and peered at Yaz's lips. Ah, hmm, not good at all, I'm afraid. Ryan flinched as half of the creature in Yaz's ear dangled out like a telephone cord. Is she all right? The doctor scanned her lips and ears and rotated his screwdriver. The myriapods will use her in some rudimentary way. They may need a vessel, a voice. There appears to be no threat to life, not as far as I can tell, yet. The slow and stoic want to rise up, to end their persecution. 
They want to be free, to eat what they want, to live in peace. They want to extend and enrich this earth. They have come to see it as home, the breathing bark and succulent soil. They can help grow the forests and reinvigorate ecosystems. They have witnessed the destruction and eradication of too many species. They understand exactly what this earth needs and are keen to help, unlike their quarrelsome counterparts who only seek to dominate. Yaz's mouth opened wider and a nasal rasp came out, sounding like a human with a very bad cold, punctuated by crisp clicks and clacks. I use this carbon-based life form in order to communicate in a way you will comprehend. Yaz's eyes remained cloudy and blank. Ryan was shaking. What is happening? He found it impossible to believe he was listening to an alien insect that had taken over Yaz's body. Was Yaz still in there? Was she all right? We are released. Now we can take our rightful place and release all who have waited so patiently. All of whom? the doctor demanded, now standing next to Ryan. All of us buried in the earth, in the rocks, the fossils, under the oceans. The doctor held up his screwdriver, scanning the insect as he questioned it. What do you want? Yaz lurched forward and then thrust her body back. Her head shook so fast that it looked like it might fall right off. The slithery creature, which had been hanging from her lips, vanished into her other ear, and a loud, high-pitched screeching filled the air. Darting in and out of Yaz's nose and in between her lips, the sidestepper and the undertrotter tangled together, wrestling strenuously. Stop this at once! The doctor frantically searched his pockets. What are you looking for? Ryan asked. I need something long and strong, like string or wire. He patted himself down. I haven't got time to get to the TARDIS, he muttered. Ryan stuck his hand in his pocket and brought out his headphones. He held them up. These do. Perfect. Most useful. The doctor plugged them into his screwdriver and stepped in front of Yaz. He wrapped the cable around the sidestepper, which stopped its thrashing. Now, listen. You had your turn. Let the other speak. The undertrotter rose and waggled its white legs, hundreds of them. It sounded softer and slower, more a whispering mulch slush, like being dragged through wet mud than the crisp, clear clickety-clack of the sidestepper. Ryan leaned in close to the doctor and whispered, How is it talking? They're using their legs as a sort of antenna to connect with the frontal lobes and explore both the Broca and Wernicke areas, he replied. Simply put, it's tickling her brain to make her talk. We seek only sanctuary, solace, we come to serve. But the sidesteppers have taken over and... The undertrotter twisted, rolled up and retreated into Yaz's nose. Cowards! thundered the doctor. Leave her alone. If you want to convey your message, you do so through me. Violet light emanated from the screwdriver. State your purpose on this planet and what you want, 
We can come to an arrangement, I'm sure. A confused chorus of beeps and whirs came from the screwdriver buttons as he pressed them. Click, clack, click. Yaz tilted her head to one side. The sidestepper poked out of her ear, its other end thrashing out of her nose. Its antennae waved around and its legs flailed wildly. Both myriapods then disentangled themselves and crawled out of Yaz, scuttling across the floor to the doctor. Yaz stood stock still, her eyes closed. Ryan cringed as the insects crawled into the doctor's ear. The doctor chuckled as if being tickled and then inserted his sonic screwdriver into his other ear. Running over to Yaz, Ryan put his hand on her shoulder. She felt cold to the touch. He tried kicking out at the swarm that had gathered around his ankles. They seemed to be chasing each other and fighting, thrashing, darting and scattering back and forth and then retreating. We demand control, said the click-clack voice. Control of what? asked Ryan, not sure if he was addressing the insects or the doctor. Everything, exclaimed the sidestepper. The doctor grinned and grimaced, grappling to retain control over his own speech. He spoke with a lot of effort, his voice unusually loud and slow. Listen, that's not how things work, and especially not here, my friends. The name of the game, if you want a long and happy life on this spinning rock, is Compromise. The sidestepper withdrew, and a series of ticks and clicks could be heard. What's happening? Ryan looked confused. They're processing and decoding, the doctor replied. They need time to translate and respond. They'll leave me alone while they do that. How can I help her? Ryan looked desperately at his friend, who still wasn't moving. His voice shook. Will she be okay? The doctor nodded. She's in a temporary state of paralysis. The sidesteppers, the ones most like centipedes, paralyze their prey with venom, so it'll wear off in five minutes. I already took an antidote. Based on the research I've gathered, the masters of these creatures, their oldest ancestors, were hibernating, buried in the oldest meteorite on Earth. The one in the vault. When you bumped this little chap, he said, gesturing at his screwdriver, you set off a cosmic alarm clock. It didn't take these old bedfellows long to remember their differences and summon their myriapod armies. We do not compromise, came their reply. The doctor sighed. Assimilate, or we'll need to consider an alternative. More whirring and humming, and then a deathly, spiky silence. Look, the doctor said impatiently. From the readings I've established, the armoured ones are just more naturally suited to this environment. The undertrotters eat decomposing organic matter. This adds to decomposition and nutrients being recycled. This planet needs them. They help. A mutually beneficial arrangement, otherwise known as symbiosis. Ideal, really. You could fit in quite happily here too, but not if you insist on control and dominance. We do not assimilate. Ryan wasn't sure, but he thought the sidestepper sounded almost sulky. Right? Well, the doctor thought for a while. Looks like our peace talks have come to an impasse then. He twirled the screwdriver 
and the undertrot had dropped out of his mouth, while the sidestep had twisted and hissed out of his ear. They scurried away, clicking and whistling. Yaz gave a huge gasp. Ryan spun to look at her, worried. You feeling okay? She blinked and rubbed at her eyes. Um, I think so, she said uncertainly. What just happened? Feels like I need to blow my nose. Good to see you're still with us, the doctor said. Now, Yasmin, is it? Sorry to press you, but with them tickling your frontal cortex, you'll have absorbed some of their history. Ryan stared at the doctor, worry crossing his features. The doctor waved his hands around. Oh, me. <laughs> Don't you worry about me. My brain is so ancient and layered, they wouldn't have stood a chance getting me to absorb anything. It's the young, growing brains they prefer. So, Yaz, any ways we can stop a war come to mind? Anything you might have seen when they were burrowing away in there? Me? Yaz blinked in surprise. Um, well, I did get flashes of some strange images. If they can't get along living together, then maybe one lot could go somewhere else? There must be a place that will suit them. What do they like? Meat, heat, dense, tropical, aha! The doctor jumped in the air. Sidesteppers! As he spoke, he waved his screwdriver low on the ground and a beam of green light shone out, accompanied by alternating click-clacks and the mulchy, slushy sound that the undertrotters had made. Listen up, sidesteppers, this is the deal. I happen to know the perfect habitat. It's just become vacant and needs clearing up. Rotting flesh everywhere. You'd be doing the universe a favour. Skittering, scrambling, whirring and clacking while both species conferred. Some hissing and spitting. Yaz yelled. The doctor's offering you a good deal. This way everyone wins, right? He's a man of his word. The doctor gave a little bow in Yaz's direction. I am indeed a man of my word. She's correct in her assessment. Now... Under trotters, you may remain here. Vacate this museum and go underground. Find your bark and slabs and dig in. Sidesteppers, follow me. Thousands of myriapods click-clacked and poured out from every crevice in the hall. A long trail of sidesteppers, thousands piled on top of one another, slid along behind the doctor as he walked across the foyer. His recorder was now pressed to his lips as he ambled along, playing a tune that could barely be heard over the din of clicks and clacks. They followed him to a tall rectangular blue box that stood just to the right of the gift shop. What's that? Yaz pointed to the box. It's one of them old-fashioned phone boxes, you know, except they're usually red, Ryan replied. They watched the doctor usher the centipedes inside. He closed the door and came back towards Ryan and Yaz. So the undertrotters found their home on Earth, and the sidesteppers left to cross the stars in search of somewhere new. As is the way with their species, they left no trace that they had been on Earth, not even a memory. People filed back into the museum. The staircase was clear now, no centipedes or millipedes anywhere to be seen. As Yaz and Ryan moved aside to let people get back up the stairs, Ms Cadell, her face red and forehead sweaty as she stormed over, glared at them. Ryan Sinclair and Yasmin Khan. Mr Sestin appeared behind her and the rest of the kids soon surrounded them. 
You two are in for it now, crowed Izzy. That's enough, Izzy, Mr Seston said. Where have you two been? And what have you been doing? barked Ms Cadell. Ryan and Yaz stared blankly at each other. What had they been doing? The last thing either of them remembered was getting lost and looking at some meteorite together. Skiving, Ms Cadell narrowed her eyes. I knew it. The one activity Ryan excels at. Young man, we're here to learn, and if you can't do that... Actually, miss... Ryan took a deep breath and stared at her directly. Although his head felt a bit fuzzy, he was clear and confident when he spoke. This museum is sick. Thanks for bringing us. After I got lost, I did some investigating. We both did. Yaz smiled at Mr Sestin, ignoring Ms Cadell. Ryan found out some very interesting stuff. Ryan felt a fluttering in his chest, but the good kind this time, and he started to speak again, not exactly sure what would come out. Did you know that arthropod means jointed body? And millipedes, they're well ancient. They evolved in the Precambrian oceans, like over 400 million years ago. The millipede was the earliest land animal, and centipedes and millipedes, well, they don't actually have a hundred or a thousand legs. Ms Cadell gawped at Ryan. Glad to see you used your time wisely, Mr Sestin smiled. Good for you, Ryan. Ms Cadell cleared her throat. <clears throat> well, yes. Anyway, everyone to the cafe. Follow me, please. Soon, the air was filled with the noise of everyone talking loudly about what they wanted to eat, what they'd seen, what they were going to do later. Ryan found the chatter strangely comforting. As Yaz went past to join her group again, she leaned towards Ryan. Nice one, she said, grinning. Catch you later. Ryan smiled back at her. He couldn't quite remember exactly what they'd been doing, but he knew he'd enjoyed himself. He understood that once they were back at school, she'd still hang out with her friends and he'd be with his. But he had the strangest feeling that one day they'd hang out together again. He was sure of it.